0: Welcome back to Steal Your Take. It is Tuesday, September 19th at 9.48 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Guys, last week I started the show saying it was going to be our best show ever. Uh, This one's going to be our worst. And the reason (laughs) I say that is Brad and I are both uh, pulling a flu game tonight. Yeah uh we are a little under the weather so james luckily this is all virtual so uh you can't catch any (laughs) of it
1: (laughs) socially distancing yeah Yeah,
0: we're gonna need you to uh carry us on your back tonight you know Mm. let me ask
1: you that you know what do you think uh that would have gone like for the bulls if scotty and mj had both had the flu
2: (laughs) oh my god
0: mj probably would have just scored 70 then
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's parent. <fair>. Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: no. <laughs> um, but no, this show it, it'll be all right. It won't be as bad as Alabama first uh first South Florida. Uh, we mm. named last week's show mm. the overreaction show after we ripped Bama after the Texas loss. Uh we should go back and rename that show the underreaction show because that was very difficult to watch and Bama is even worse than I thought they thought they were. Uh We'll get to that later in the show, though. Mm. Uh, we got a lot of college football ahead of us on this show. we got a big weekend coming up. College football really heats up this Saturday, just a bevy of monster matchups. But first, we're going to start with the NFL. We're slowly learning a little bit about these 2023 teams, (laughs) but the Chargers are showing us that they are the same team they've always been as they fell to 0-2 and another dramatic loss, this time to the Titans in overtime. James, is there any hope for this franchise?
1: I I mean, I don't know. It seems like, uh, you know, it kind of seems like they need all the help they can get. Um, (laughs) I saw different headlines of, you know, like the sparkless chargers and things like that. What's happening now is truly remarkable. It's like they're finding new ways to lose football games uh, and games that they have, have no business losing. And uh, I mean, it makes for very entertaining football to watch, but it just, you know, it's like, how are they going to lose this next week? So the Chargers since leading the Jacksonville Jaguars 27 to nothing in the second quarter of the playoffs last year, um, have not won a game since you know went on to lose that game, somehow managed to, to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. but 0 mm-hmm. two on the season, they lost to the Tennessee Titans in overtime this past week, 27-24. Um, Tennessee is not you know all that good. Uh, San Diego was was favored in that game. Um, but the Chargers have now lost 10 games after leading in the fourth quarter with Justin Herbert as their quarterback. So, you know, that, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about of, of Herbert has gotten this grace period to this extent. But, you know, if he keeps, keeps going that way, I mean, that is just moving in the wrong direction. And not only that, um, so that, that's the most such losses in the NFL since 2020. But, Herbert also just signed a massive extension, but he has a 25 and 26 record uh, as a starter. So, mm. you know, it, it kind of is becoming when somebody tells you who they are, you kind of got to listen, you know. So he might have a, a rocket arm, and people thought he had the intangible intangibles and that he was going to be, you know, top five quarterback in the league, but he has a sub-500 record, and just somehow his teams keep losing games that they shouldn't.
0: Well, I think you said a key word right there, and that's intangibles. You look at the stats, you look at the numbers, you look at the eye test, and it's all pretty good with Herbert. But at the end of the day in the NFL, these are all closely contested games that come right down to the very end. And it's oftentimes who plays the best in those final seven or eight minutes in those final two or three drives. And the fact that your franchise quarterback, who you expect to have around for the next 10 years, doesn't pull these out. It's a little alarming, and and I don't want to throw it all on Justin Herbert because there's way more to that. Uh, Brandon Staley, to me, yeah, is still the, the guy you yeah. got to point the finger at. He came over, he got the job because he was the Rams' defensive coordinator in 2020. Uh, it, it, when you get a job because of your prior work as a defensive coordinator, you got to have a good defense, and he just hadn't. In his three mm-hmm. years with the Chargers. They've had the 23rd best defense in football, the 20th best defense in football, and this year they're dead last. And and all those are rankings in yards per game allowed. Uh, They've devoted a bunch of resources to that side of the ball. Their three highest paid players are all on defense. Uh, I think it's J.C. Jackson, uh, Joey Bosa, and who am I leaving out? Oh, Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack. Both games this year, they've given up over 10 yards per attempt. It's one thing to do it to – Tyreek and Jalen Waddell and Tua, it's a whole nother thing to do it to Ryan Tannehill. Uh, 10 yards per attempt is a ton, even in the NFL. Um, There's talent everywhere. The issues have been on defense in the O-line, but they used back-to-back first-round picks on the O-line and now have a pretty good offensive line. It's just, it's a tough scene. And then you see Brandon Staley get up there on the podium after the game, and he gets asked about what was it like, I mean, how much of this team's struggles have to do with what happened in Jacksonville a few months ago? And you can tell that really bugged him. And he didn't just nip Mm. it in the butt and kind of just put it to rest real quick. He went on for about 60 seconds straight trying to declare that this has nothing to do with it, that they didn't focus on Jacksonville in training camp. They didn't focus on Jacksonville when they lost their first game, and they aren't focusing on Jacksonville right now. And you could just tell it was a very frustrated coach who knows he's on a short leash. They just brought in an offense coordinator in Kellen Moore who was taken head coaching interviews the past two years and is who's considered the next big thing in the NFL. They've got a head coach in waiting on the roster right now that people are excited about. I, I don't see him making it through the season unless they turn around real quick. Uh, there's no way this team goes 9-8 and eight and Staley keeps his job all the way through the end of the year. They have to go on mm-hmm. a run or Staley's going
2: to be the first coach fired this year. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think he's the first domino to fall.
1: Who's yeah, the head coach
2: I, in waiting you mentioned? Kellen Moore. Okay, yeah, fair enough.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that his seat is really hot right now. If they drop a couple more games, that thing is going to be scorching. Um, but they've lost four straight one-score games. Um, and, yeah, it's just for whatever reason, it's like they they just can't get over the hump. But I saw I saw another interesting thing this morning. I was going and looking at – just the the NFL standings and the point differentials, which Clark, your Cowboys have a plus sixty point differential, was just in, insane.
0: They're, they're first in points scored and first in points allowed. I mean, Not that's bad. like
1: that's like you know my Madden franchise kind of numbers there when I'm playing on like the easiest setting. I mean, it's just unbelievable what they're doing. But the the point being, when I was looking through that, you know, the Chargers are zero and two. They've lost those two games by a combined five points. So I mean, it's yeah. just it's it's just That's the trend now until they can can bucket. And yeah, I think you're right. I think Brandon Staley, he kind of reminds me of, you know, the meme where uh, Leslie Nielsen from I think it's from a naked gun movie is like standing there and he's like nothing to see here. And like the building is just on fire (laughs) behind him with like fireworks shooting off and all that. Yeah. he kind of reminds me of that. If he's like, no, no, we're all good when really, you know, they're they're not so good. Yeah. I think that that he will will be gone. I think he's on the way out.
0: Brad, are you a believer in this team? I, and I don't mean in the sense of what we've seen because clearly we just gave a ton of reasons why it's hard to believe in this team. But at the end of the day, you look at the roster, you look at the players at the key positions, um, and it's not just at the flashy ones. Like we talked about the line of scrimmage, two first-round picks in 21 and 22, both pretty good players right now with Rashawn Slater being one of the best players in football. Uh it, there's still so much to like about what this team can be. Do you think they can turn around, and do you think they can turn around with Brandon Staley?
2: I don't think they can turn around with Brandon Staley. I've kind of lost faith in him as a coach. The funny thing about this team, though, like, it's, they're so hard to shake, like you were saying. I've bet on them both weeks of the NFL season so far. That it's, and we we'll, looked at the spreads yesterday. I like them again this weekend against the Vikings. You know, what's I can't their, shake what's this What's their team.
1: line this week? They're,
2: they're a pick. You know, two oh and two teams, desperate for a win. And I just feel like, you know, I, every weekend I go into it. I'm like, the Chargers are gonna look different this weekend. It just doesn't seem to be the case. Staley's just you know, he kind of had the reputation as like the analytical guy too. Like go for it on fourth down if it's fourth and one. And there was a fourth and one like in Tennessee's forty this weekend and yeah. like forty five and he punched. Forty one. He's like lost his image now. It's it's weird. I was like, how do you not go for it right there? Um I don't know. And and then for them to go to overtime, it seemed like a lock. They get the ball first. You're like, all right, this game's going to be over, even if they just kick the field goal. There's no way that Tennessee can drive back down the field and score and three and out for Herbert, and then Tennessee just marches right down the field and kicks the game-winning field goal, um, in pretty classic Chargers fashion. Um, but having said that, you know, again, this team will continue to uh, fool me every week. I feel like moving forward through the season. <laughs>
0: Well, their next two games are really big, in my opinion. You talked about being a pick 'em <clears throat> in Minnesota this Sunday. Uh, that's going to be a wild game. There's going to be so many points scored in that. Uh, but then they have the char- the Raiders at home. So you got to beat the Vikings, and then you got to beat the Raiders to get to two and two mm-hmm. because then you face the Cowboys in LA, and that's not going to be a home game. It may be being played no. at their home stadium. That entire stadium is going to be Cowboy fans. And then no. the week after that, they go to Kansas City. So if you go one and one even in the next two games, you're looking at uh, what would that be a one and three record, and then you've got Cowboys and Chiefs coming up after that. I mean, Brandon Staley gets fired after one of those games, if not both, or after the <laughs> Cowboys games, if not the Chiefs game, because yeah. that is a tough slate. But let's talk about a, a few other teams who are in even worse position than the chargers. You can sign me up for Justin, Justin Herbert. I'd be thrilled if he were my quarterback for the next five years. Uh, It's not about having the best guy. It's about having a top 10 guy and Justin Herbert is certainly that, but the Browns and the Broncos, they Mm. have the, what is that the fifth and sixth highest paid players in football at those positions. And the only reason that they're even that low is because the five players are the highest paid Players in football have all signed contracts in the the last 18 months to go ahead of them. And that's Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. Uh, Watson and the Browns are off to one and one start. Wilson is off to a horrible 0 and 2 start after losing to the Raiders in week one. And then they lose to the Commanders in week two. Uh, You're not starting 0 and 2 against those teams and having anything good happen to your season. Guys, I want to reel off some information for you. Uh, I, I dug deep into the research department and just told you how, just to tell you how screwed these two teams are with these two quarterbacks. So, neither of these teams are on the doorstep of contending for a championship. Uh, the Broncos aren't even in the neighborhood. And more importantly, both of these quarterbacks' best footballs in the past. But here's why these teams are in so much trouble they can't get rid of these players. So, for Deshaun Watson, if they were mm-hmm. to let go of Deshaun Watson, <laughs> The Browns would take a $220 million cap hit.
1: Mm -hmm. To put
0: that in perspective, the NFL salary cap right now is $224 million. (laughs) That's insane. (laughs) They're taking a dead money hit of an entire roster if they release him right now. If they release him next year, they take a $200 million dead money hit. Year after that, $137 million. 2026, $73 million. And they can finally really cut bait with them in 2027 for a nine million dollar cap hit. Mm. So, what if they traded to Sean Watson? Well, if they traded to Sean Watson sometime in the next two years, they're still in the hook for sixty million plus of dead money. Think about this: the largest dead money hit in NFL history was when Matt Ryan cost the Falcons forty million dollars in 2022 or 2022. <laughs> Hmm. And Deshaun Watson, he, he's doubling 40 or tripling or quadrupling it for the next half decade. Now let's go to Russell Wilson real quick. If the Broncos were to cut ties with Russell Wilson, that's $107 million in dead money. Next year, it's 85. In 2025, it's 50. 2026 is 31. 27, 13. In 2028, it's $4.4 4 million. Uh, so as tough as it would be to be a Chargers fan, put me in that boat any day over the Browns no or the Broncos. Uh, the the Browns may wind up competing for something this year, but Sean Watson, what a shell of himself he has been. And, I, and nobody feels sorry for him. I'm not making excuses for the guy. If that happens to you, you're worried about much bigger things in football, especially after you become the highest paid player in NFL history. Yeah. But is, is there any hope for Deshaun Watson? Is there any hope for the Bra- Browns? Brad, what, what do you think about Deshaun Watson and his future and the Browns' future?
2: Um I don't know that he has to be what he was. The Browns have a very good defense. Um currently one of the top 2 in the league in yards allowed, allowing less than 200 yards a game now granted the competition they've played hasn't been um elite offenses. Um I don't know. I guess I'm not ready to call that a total um disaster of a contract because I think that he's a guy that can help them win some close games.
0: It's only been eight games since the suspension, but it's a bad eight games. Yeah,
2: and I don't love the contract either way. I just don't think that's quite as bad as the Russell Wilson situation. Um, The Broncos, how I mean, they've lost two very heartbreaking games, but – Last week, they had zero sacks and had allowed seven. They continue to just, like, this team is giving up sacks at a historic rate. You know, and they did it last year. It looks like they're going to do it again this year. And I think you made the argument that is is it Russell Wilson after this huge sample size that we have of him getting sacked again and again and again and again? Um, well, I don't you know. know.
0: Who has that? who has that sack problem, and it's not necessarily the offensive line's fault? It's Deshaun Watson.
3: Yeah, Deshaun right.
0: Watson has been the same guy. Listen to this. Yeah. So Deshaun Watson has been sacked more than Patrick Mahomes over the last two regular seasons. And you say, well, why is that important? Does Patrick Mahomes get sacked a lot? What does that stat mean? Well, Mahomes has 812 dropbacks during that time. Watson only has 288. So he has about <laughs> one-fourth of the dropbacks, and he's been sacked just as many times. Mm, so both wild. of those qu- quarterbacks are losing yards on places on place that they're not even throwing the
2: ball. Yeah. Yeah browns um i tell you what that injury to nick chubb devastating oh, the other night um you hate to it's see that to see definitely one of the focal points especially amara cooper's banged up too not healthy ended yeah. up playing and playing well but um you know they got they will have to produce something offensively clearly it wasn't enough against the steelers who look pretty bad on offense um I don't know what they're going to do about that. I, and think I, we've I don't kind know of what been to make about, about that
0: week, that week one went over Cincinnati either because Joe right. Burrow looked equally as bad in week two and there's something bad going on there. too. So, yeah. yeah. So I, and they've owned the Bengals. I don't give as much credit to the Browns as I do blame on the Bengals. Mm-hmm. By the way, that Nick Chubb injury, I turned on the game right after it happened and kind of just going through my phone real quick. It's a bunch of people on Twitter telling me like, do not watch this. Yeah. And I yeah. could just tell by the, by the tone of everything that I was like, all right, I kind of like to see these things, but this one, I'm not going to watch. Uh, there's a <laughs> Twitter follow called Dr. Chow at pro football doc. And I recommend anybody who doesn't follow him to give this guy a follow. He's yeah. basically the old team trainer for the uh, San Diego chargers. Now the LA chargers. And what he, what his skill set is he watches video of injuries and just things that happen on the field. And he can watch the replay one time. And he can tell you, to like a 95% accuracy, exactly what the injury is. And so you're not sitting there waiting until after the game. You're not waiting until an x-ray or an MRI. He's basically telling you what happened just by a replay. And he's sitting there going on there and he's saying, guys, it's my job to show you the replay and tell you exactly what tendons are torn. Like fair warning, I'm about to show you one of the most gruesome things I've seen. And I unfortunately watched it and seeing that kneecap basically go out the backside it was almost like Willis McGahee in the national championship yeah. against Ohio State. Uh, same exact thing where he just gets hit on the front and everything just goes out the back. And it was that same knee that Nick Chubb tore. And it's basically tore the alphabet, MCL, PCL, ACL. Yeah. Um I, I hate to make an assumption like this, but it, I'm not sure we ever seen Nick Chubb on a football field ever again. Mm.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I think even if we do, he probably will not be his same self. I mean, that's, just so traumatic to go through that. Um, and yeah, and he's been say, through a lot. And I mean, he's been through, back, you know, because like, is... like you said, I mean, when he, yeah, when he blew out his, his knee in college, like you said, it was all of the, every CL that there is pretty much, and then the kneecap, and then to have that be the same leg again that goes out, I just, that's, his road to recovery is going to be brutal. So mm-hmm. I wish him the best. He's, you know, fun to watch. I mean, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, just really, really tough to see.
0: And so we talked about Joe Burrow struggling uh, another quarterback that's struggling, but it is in a little bit better position than Joe Burrow is Patrick Mahomes uh, another tough game this weekend and I've got a stat for you guys. So Sunday and Brad, this is going to hurt you because you're going to be like, how did my team not win this football game? <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Sunday was the
0: Chiefs' lowest offensive success rate in 96 starts with Patrick Mahomes. It was 96 out of 96. (laughs) But here's the even more troubling thing. Week one was the 92nd. So Mm. two out of the five worst starts, or two out of the five worst success rates that offense has had under Patrick Mahomes have happened in the first two weeks this year. Uh, They come out of it one and one. They could easily be 2-0. and That's a scary thing. That defense is playing really well. Uh, Brad, they held your boy to 22 of 41 passing, 216 yards, only 5.3 yards per attempt, a 16.5 QBR, and that's on a 0 to 100 scale. And he was 0 of 7 in the red zone. And yeah. As a Jags fan, man, you guys are on the up and up and you've got a chance on Sunday to really make your mark on this league and let people know that you're here. I thought I thought the Jags were going to do it. I know they were an underdog, but playing at home with all the hype they've been having, getting that playoff win last year, going against the Chiefs Chiefs in the playoff, and then having that offense that everybody's been raving about that said <laughs> could possibly be the best offense in of the league, be the reason you lose the game. How does that make you feel as a Jags fan?
2: Uh, yeah, it was awful to watch. Like It looked a lot worse than it really was, I think. like In my opinion, the Jags actually played a pretty good game. Uh, they just couldn't do anything once they got down in the red zone. Like, you hit the stat that stood out to me the most, 0-7 in the red zone for Trevor Lawrence. Um, Just totally abandoned the run when they got down there, and he was just flinging it out of bounds, like, every single throw, except for that very last one to Calvin Ridley where he couldn't get the foot in bounds. Um, it was a bummer to see. And he made a lot of decisions in that game, though, too that had me scratching my head. Chris Jones, I think he only had the one sack, but he had that sack where he came off the edge. Trevor Lawrence had a guy running wide open across the middle of the field, and he tucks that ball in and just tries to run. And I was screaming. Well, I was watching it on my phone on the way back from North Carolina, but I was screaming at my phone. What point in the game was them? this? Uh, it was Chris Jones. I wish I knew exactly when. I think it was in the in the second quarter. But he had a couple plays like that where he had guys where he could have gotten on the ball, which is really concerning for me to see. Like, I mean, you got to get the ball out of your hand. We were just talking about that with the other two guys, with Deshaun Watson and things like that. So, I don't know. Um, hopefully it's an outlier. The other thing that's pretty concerning, too, is that the Chiefs really shot themselves in the foot in that game. They had, like, yeah. 12 penalties and three turnovers. Um, again, how do you not beat them at home when they have 12 penalties and three turnovers? And one of their worst offensive outputs in Patrick Holmes, McCoy, I mean, apparently his worst in his career. Um, Really, really disappointing result.
0: The crazy thing about that, and this just shows how good Mahomes is, is, that was the worst success rate they've had in Patrick Mahomes' 96 starts, and they still threw for about 300 and ran for about 100. So, I mean,
1: it's yeah. ridiculous
0: how good that offense yeah. is. I
1: saw, yeah. I saw an interesting stat that was talking about um, since – Eric enemy had has left Kansas City. They've been averaging right around 18 points a game, and his new squad over in Washington is averaging over 27 points a game. I wonder I'm how much has to do that with that up. guy. That's a great I'm glad point.
0: you brought that up because I was always on the on the team where everybody's flipping out that Eric bien isn't getting these jobs every single mm-hmm. year, and I'm sitting there saying I would be scared to death to hire a, an offensive coordinator who works under Andy Reid. It's Andy Reid's offense, let's face it. Yeah. And it's quarterback by Patrick Mahomes with Tyreek Kill's wide receiver, and, and Kelsey uh, Travis and, Kelsey, yeah. at, at tight end. Like, I'd be scared to death to, to hire that offensive coordinator because I just look at him like I could do that job. Right. Andy yeah. Reid, you, yeah. you, just, you just give me the playbook and let me learn it, and I will call up some awesome stuff that Mahomes loves and we will put up 40 burgers on everybody and then you go out and see what he's done just in again small sample size but with Sam Howe Sam Howe was lighting up the Broncos last week and I thought the Broncos at least last year they did had a pretty good defense um they got some studs in that secondary and one of the best cornerbacks in football if not the best and Patrick Sertan and Justin Simmons back at safety and I mean, not to just keep naming names, but a pass rush with guys like Randy Gregory. I mean, that's a good mm-hmm. defense. And yeah. Sam Howell looked awesome in only his third career start. So, yeah, hats off to Eric Bieniemy, man. Uh, man. Mm-hmm. If the commanders continue to play like that, he will be a head coach, and he will be a head coach very
2: soon. Yeah, I agree. I think the commanders are for real, man. They've got one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. Yeah. For sure. They do. Um, they do. Howell's, Howell's better than I thought he was going to be. For sure. And he's got weapons, too. I mean, we talked about Terry McLaurin in that overrated, underrated segment. He's a good player. Jahan Dotson's a great player. Jahan Dotson's good. out of Penn
0: State two years ago. They
2: can run the ball with Antonio Gibson. Um, I mean, they're they're a good squad. And, in fact, that's one of my picks this week. Uh, I'm buying commanders plus six and a half at home versus the Bills. I think in general – I think in general, when you get six points on an NFL team, if they're not one of the worst teams in the league, you take it. Um, At home, yeah. And the Bills, the one thing they struggle with is a defense that can get after Josh Allen and disrupt him. And that's what the commanders can do. So I think that's a really good matchup and play for them.
0: That'll be a good test for them. Uh, The Cardinals, I mean, week one, the Cardinals aren't a good team. Uh, They showed some fight this week. Yeah, Uh, The the Broncos aren't a good team. I'm not – hating on the commanders when you have a guy starting a second and third game on a team that just hadn't been very good recently, and you're off to a 2-0 start. I mean, hats off to you. Uh, But we'll see what the commanders are are, are really about this weekend, and we'll see if uh, they can be one of the teams that can fight for that fourth seed in the NFC because right now, guys, the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the Niners just look on a collision course for for Mm -hmm. the NFC championship and whoever gets unlucky and doesn't get that one seed. And those two and three are gonna to have to face each other before they, they face the the team that gets the buy in NFC championship. And the cool thing about this trio of powerhouse teams, there's a lot of cool things. For one, they all have three incredible defenses. They're all in three incredible football cities with incredible traditions. They're all traditionally pretty good rivals as well. Yeah. Um I think we've kind of got going something similar, not as great because it'll never be like this, but Remember the 90s when it was Cowboys and 49ers, obviously. But then those Brett Favre Packers were always yeah. hanging around Absolutely. and always threatening and just kind of just being like, all right, well, we're not getting by. And then as soon as one of y'all slip up, we're, we're, we're taking over. And the Packers had the best team in football for the next two years after those 49ers and Cowboys reigns ended. I think we're kind of right back there with these three. Um, and I love that it's the 49ers and Cowboys again. I love the way the schedule sets up as well because obviously the Cowboys and Eagles are going to play each other twice, but the Cowboys and Eagles also play the 49ers this year. The Cowboys have the Cardinals uh, this week, and then they have the Patriots afterwards. Good chance the Cowboys will be 4-0, and then we get Cowboys at Niners week five on Sunday Night Football, and that's going to tell us a lot about those two teams. Uh, And the thing that I think is so impressive is that (laughs) there's a lot of talk about people saying like, uh, I mean, I know they're 2-0, and o, but, like, uh, what, what what's going on with the Eagles? And I'm like, you're 2-0. and o. You've beaten <laughs> Bill Belichick on the road, and you beat Kirk Cousins in a night where he threw for damn near 400 yards. If he didn't throw for 400 yards, I'll have to look that up. But I'm not apologizing for anything like that. Jalen Carter <laughs> looks like a superstar. Um, Jalen Carter, I've got it right here. What is he? He is – Right now, so he's the highest-graded rookie in all of football uh, in front of Bijan Robinson, and he is fifth in the NFL in pressures after two weeks. Um, and that's to go wow. along with the team that, like we said on earlier episodes, led the league in sacks last year. Uh, who do y'all like out of those three teams right now? James, if, if you were to pick the NFC Championship, who's in that NFC Championship and who do you have winning it? I know it's huh? only two weeks, but who you got?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, when we were doing our prediction show, I said that I, you know, that I thought it was going to be the uh, the Eagles and and Forty Niners. Honestly, with the way that the Cowboys are playing, if they stay healthy, I I think that they're going to be the Super Bowl representative from the NFC. I really do. Um, that, that roster, boy. that is hmm. absolutely loaded, and I think we might be seeing a modern day, you know, doomsday defense. So uh, with the way that they move Micah around, it just causes havoc. Unless that secondary just eat with Trevon Diggs, Gilmore, all those guys back there, they're just a bunch of ball hawks. Um, even Curse. So, um, yeah, I would have to go with the Cowboys. I'm hoping that uh, that you know they don't let me down uh, like they've done in the past. But um, but yeah, I mean through, <laughs> through two weeks they are impressive to say the Brad, least.
0: Brad, I'll get your take real quick. But James just said a word that I just have to speak on. James, <laughs> you mentioned the word havoc. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. You know why? Because there's a cool new stat in NFL. It's called Havoc Rate. And I know you're probably thinking I'm making it I up. Did not we, know did, that. We, we did not talk about this for the show. You just gave me a perfect seg though. Mm. So Havoc Rate accounts for play okay, here are all the plays that are considered Havoc. It's a tackle for no gain, a tackle for a loss, a forced fumble, an interception, a pass deflection or a pressure do you know what percentage of the cowboys plays have gone for no gain a lost forced a fumble interception had a pass deflected or a pressure
1: a lot
0: 80.2 <laughs> that's, percent
1: that's crazy 80. wow yeah
0: 80.2 the saints are second in the nfl at 59.1 wow.
1: <laughs> that's amazing so yeah. the
0: Cowboys are causing complete chaos out there, and I and love it. You can
1: tell. It. I mean, as yeah. people do not know where, where Micah's lining up. They don't know how to account for him. It's confusing the hell out of the offensive line. And quarterbacks, you can tell, they're like focusing on him, where he's going to be coming from, and they're trying to get rid of the ball. And Dallas has playmakers all over the field that are just, you know, just sitting there waiting to to make a play on it. So, um, yeah, I mean, Dan Quinn has, has things rolling in, in Dallas for sure.
0: Trayvon Diggs has allowed a passer rating of one, one against him this year. One. Well, and even
1: even like this past week, uh, there was a play where Garrett Wilson pulled a move on him, and he had Trayvon Diggs beat. You know, he he had oh, yeah. him. He's open, he but did. then Zach Wilson is under such duress; he almost throws an interception. You know, he had to yeah. underthrow the ball, and, and Diggs is right there for it. So even you know when when the secondary does get beat. Um, the, the defensive line is able to make up for it and put pressure on the quarterback to move them off their spots where they can't step into their throw. So, uh, you know, we kind of mentioned it last week of feeling bad for uh, Zach Wilson, not showing him the tape from week one. And I feel that way for all quarterbacks going forward. It's just like, I don't know that I want to show him the game film from what the Cowboys are doing this year. Mm. No,
0: nope, and that, that's why it's so exciting about that Cowboys-Niners matchup. And, and it's it just cannot get here soon enough because the Cowboys... Have the last two years, obviously, they've been knocked out of the playoffs by the Niners. In each offseason, the Cowboys have gone into the offseason saying, all right, the Niners have exposed us. We have to fight back. They left two years ago when the Niners won in Dallas saying that team beat us up physically on both sides of the football. The players said it. Every player said, I know it's in the, the season, but That game took me three weeks to recover from. They just kicked our ass physically. Mm -hmm. And what the Cowboys do, they go out the the first round and they draft Tyler Smith, a big left tackle who's just mean as can be. He's now playing guard. Tyron Smith is back at left tackle and has only allowed one pressure through two weeks. He looks like he is back. I'm praying. That he can stay healthy. And then in year two, Cowboys go and use a first round pick on Mozzie Smith, just a big, mean nose tackle that can get up in the middle and stop that run. So the 49ers have the exact ingredients to attack this Cowboys defense. They're going to run right at him. They're going to punch him in the mouth. They're not going to try to be flashy doing it. Uh, and we'll see if this new look Cowboys defense can withstand that. They did in the playoffs last year. Eventually they broke down at the end of the game, and, and the 49ers had that long drive capped off by that Christian McCaffrey run that kind of put the nail in the coffin. Uh, but we'll see how it looks this time around because if you have to drop back and throw against this Cowboys team, they put you in third and six, third and seven, third and eight. You are in a heap of trouble
3: yeah, at that point. Are.
0: At that point, I'm even as a Cowboys fan. I'm like, I hope this drive doesn't end in a punt. I, I want to see you drop back and <laughs> see your eyes get as big as silver dollars and run for your life and see what kind of mistake you make. Uh, Brad, who's the NFC favorite right now?
2: Uh, it's still the Niners for me. I don't think a lot's changed. I thought that was a good win they had this weekend on the road, honestly. I did too. Um, and the Cowboys, like a I mean, James mentioned, I hope, I hope they don't disappoint me. The Cowboys will always let you down. That is a, that is one of the facts in life. <laughs> Look, we forget where
0: we were born, okay? We weren't born in 96, we were born in 86. So it started off all right. It's just been a tough. I just wonder where this plus. was
2: last year, dude. I, I don't know if you remember this, Clark, but I had a future on the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. I took a shot. And I was one year early. It's like the same team. It's like the same exact team. Hold <laughs> on.
0: They, they added Stefan Gilmore as their number two cornerback, yeah, and they added Brandon, Brandon Cooks as their number two wide receiver. That's a really big difference, not to mention Tyron Smith, who was out all of last year, has yeah. come back and been arguably the best left tackle in football so far, which is a total game changer. That's,
1: that's because he listens to the podcast and heard you say he was overrated.
2: i know my goodness what a mistake he is overrated uh but he's looked good so far this season no i just think the niners are the most complete team you know the interesting thing about those three teams i don't think any of us would have thought this is that brock purdy's looked the best out of all three quarterbacks Mm -hmm. hurt hurts and prescott just hadn't been asked to do a whole lot um but brock purdy's top 10 in the league right now in quarterback rating through the first two games um it's been kind of interesting to see. He's looked really sharp when they when they've actually asked him to step up and make plays. Hurts, uh, on the other hand, I don't feel like you know. Again, Dak hasn't been asked to do a whole lot, and I think it's really as simple as that for Dallas. He has not had to be. Dak's to been step amazing. Up and make, th- he's been the best yeah. third down quarterback this year, but, yeah. but first and second and down, he hadn't so done I'm, really anything. I'm really not getting on him. It's just a usage thing with him. But Jalen's had moments where he's not looked good, um, and and so I, I just wonder if the hype went too far, I wondered that preseason, he was one of the guys when I was looking at the MVP odds that I was just, like, I just don't see it for Jay. Well, he lost his
0: coordinator too. He's the head coach of the Colts
2: right now. Yeah. But these are three teams though, that interestingly enough, and it's just kind of interesting to see in the NFL today that it really doesn't matter who you throw in there at the quarterback right now, because they're just game managers, all three of them, you know, none of them are showing out this team went; these teams, all three win in different ways. Um, which is cool to say, see in today's NFL.
0: I'm also wondering about that Philly O-line, and, and I, I love that O-line. You guys know I do. They're a bunch of maulers. Mm-hmm. They've been great in in run blocking this year. They've been phenomenal. But they they look human in pass protection this year, and I don't know if it's just a two-games thing. I mean, granted, the the schedule makers are doing them no favors. You start off with, Uh, a road game on on sunday in week one and then you got to go play a thursday night game a few days later in week two and then you play a monday night game week three yeah uh really tough tough job by the schedule makers but we'll see what that offensive line is i'm not too worried about them uh the only guy that's been able to ever slow down michael parsons has been uh, lane johnson and, and he's still there kicking so yeah we got uh what is that Four total games involving the Eagles, Niners, and Cowboys first each other, uh, and then we'll probably get two more in the playoffs. So
1: six awesome matchups ahead of us. Who who do you think the best team in the NFC is? I
0: I still am going to go with my original pick, Eagles. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say if I went into this season knowing nothing about pro football and just was basing it solely off what I saw the first two weeks, I'd go Niners. But Right now, I'm just going to still ride the Eagles. It's hard not to say Niners, but I just trust Jalen Hurts more than I trust Brock Purdy, and that's really the difference there. I think both those rosters are almost perfect top to bottom. I mean, yeah, I can poke holes in a few small things, but they have have dudes where it matters, and they've got lots of them. But, yeah, give me Jalen Hurts over Brock Purdy, and, and that's why I like the Eagles.
2: You know, the other thing I'll say real quick is that Eagles defense has made two quarterbacks that I think a lot of people are very iffy on look really, really good the first two weeks of the season. Mac Jones had a great game. Now, not the entire game. Of course, they were able to get pressure on him. But, I mean, he had over 300 yards passing, and he nearly got them down the field to have a chance to win that game. You're right. You're right. And Kirk Cousins blew it up on Thursday night, put up huge numbers. Um, So that's just kind of interesting to see from them. This is the best defense in the league, uh, arguably. And I, I and am
0: I am wondering how much having a big lead in both of those has to do with it. Can 20, make a big difference. Tw- Twenty seven sure. to seven on the Vikings and what they get up on the Patriots. <clears throat> they got up on the Patriots a pretty good margin. Sixteen um,
2: to nothing, I think, out of the gate. But at half mm-hmm. it was already sixteen fourteen. So the second half, it was oh, wow. close the entire game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh anything else catch y'all's eye on the NFL this week?
2: Uh looking at the scores right now. I mean, I just think that we got to talk about the NFC South a little bit got yeah. three undefeated teams down there, and I think one of the first things I said when we were previewing the NFL is that that division is crap. Um, <laughs> they, they, uh, are. <laughs> they are. They are. They <laughs> are. Uh, the funny thing, I was talking to Clark about this earlier today, is like the, the, the Saints were the team. I was kind of looking at it as the mm. horse in that division, and I still think they probably win that division, but, man, that offense is bad. It is yeah. not good. Um and now they've I think that Jamal Williams, their running back, suffered an injury. I don't I don't think we would expect Alvin Kamara to be the guy he's been previously. Derek Carr is just not reliable. Um I don't know. Alave didn't look that great last night. Um that offense is really bad. So their defense is still looking elite. Um granted they have had to face who, the Raiders and Panthers in the first two weeks of the season, but uh they've still looked really good. But man, the Falcons look like – the the crazy thing about it is the Falcons' defense has look better. Um, so, just really interested to see what happens in that division. I don't know what to make of the Bucs either. I mean, Baker Mayfield's done for 300 yards every week.
1: I know. He's looking like what, what people were expecting when when he was taken so high in the draft. Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm yeah. also wondering, I feel like we all kind of gave up on the Bucs last year when we just saw yeah. them just struggling to even make it in the playoffs. and winning that division just by the sake of it being terrible, but they've still got a lot of those names that they had on that Super Bowl team. And I'm just wondering if yeah. last year was just one of those funky years for them. Um and I know they're now this is the third year removed from the Super Bowl, but that team before the team after the Super Bowl lost to the eventual Super Bowl champions in a great game in Tampa Bay. A lot of those dudes are still around. Uh Mike Evans seems to still be playing good football. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't pay him. He's really upset about that contract. <clears throat> uh you just, when you're in a semi-rebuild, you don't pay somebody in their early 30s a big contract. Uh, but, yeah, more power to Baker Mayfield, man. Um, I hope he stays around. I hope he keeps doing this. He's fun to watch. Uh, one of those polar, polarizing dudes who you're going to have, have an opinion about, and it's it's good to see him have success and be relevant.
2: Yeah. The other thing I'll mention, too, about that NFC South, though, t- uh, all three teams that are 2-0, and over, they've beaten a collective 1-5. Team, group of teams <laughs> so uh, maybe there's just some scheduling there that has been beneficial for them we'll see what also, they look like, also when just they all like start the playing. fact
0: that yeah, you were high on the saints and they're off to this 2-0 and start and you're like yeah i don't know
2: <laughs> no dude i just i don't know I, I i can't it's hard to get behind Derek carr and i just thought he would look reasonable i mean he's already got more interceptions than touchdown passes you know just all I, all all they need him to do is is manage the game, and I guess he's done that. He's getting victories, but he ain't going to get to p- play the Panthers every week, you know. Like, there, that's, there's that's some, gonna get harder.
0: Derek Carr, and pardon my weird analogy, um, but he's almost like the NFL version of Christian Wood. And hopefully, some of y'all listening to this are NBA fans. But what I mean yeah, by no that is no one's going to understand that. What I mean by that is this. <laughs> The, it, it, he passes the eye test. Like you, so yeah. you watch the eye test sometimes, right. and you're like, "All right, I think Derek Carr is an above-average quarterback." Yeah. But then you just see the way teams are always jockeying to find some other guy or get him out of there, or the fact that the Raiders basically like said see ya, in the middle of the season and then brought in Jimmy Garoppolo, who is right. basically just a more boring version of Derek Carr, but similar production, <laughs> I guess. The Raiders were super happy to get him out of there and bring in a very similar guy. So I I think people who know the NFL and who actually get paid to do it for a living think a lot less of Derek Carr than the people who sit on their couch and watch it on Sundays. For sure. I agree. Uh, But let's move it on to college. We have a slate this weekend, gentlemen, uh, and we deserve it after last week. Last week was tough to watch. (laughs) Um, I'll just run down some games real quick and y'all tell me what catches your eye. We'll move to the SEC in a little while. Let's start out of conference. Uh, Number four, FSU at Clemson. FSU is a a two-and-a-half-point dog in that one. I mean, a a two-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. Pardon me. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got number 19, Colorado, catching 21 at number 10, Oregon. Uh, We got number 22, UCLA, catching four-and-a-half at number 11, Utah. Uh, Cam Rising is expected to be back in that game. We'll find out on Thursday. Uh, number 14, Oregon's a three-point favorite over number 21, Washington State. Uh, number 24, Iowa. Ooh, Vegas does not have much faith in them. 14.5-point mm. dogs at number seven, Penn State. They will be doing a whiteout in Happy Valley that night. And then we got number six, Ohio State, as a three-point favorite at Notre Dame. And sorry, I'm going to throw in one more, and I know it's not one that many people are thinking about. It's just one that I kind of find intriguing, and I'd like to – I don't want to go into too much detail about this one because it is the 23rd most interesting game of the day. (laughs) But one that caught my eye is Texas is a 15-point favorite at Baylor. And after seeing the Alabama-South Florida game, I think a little bit differently of Texas. And Texas is due for one of these games. Even Texas fans, they were saying it as they were leaving Bryant-Denny. They were like, I know we just beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. I'm not going to sit there and – focus on anything else this is a great day texas is back but we will lose to somebody at some point in the season that we have no business losing to and why not a baylor team that had number 11 utah on the ropes and i know baylor also lost to texas state or whoever it was but i just see this being a game that texas could slip up on and texas didn't look any good against wyoming they need to a big fourth quarter just like they had against Alabama to put that game away. Am I crazy for thinking Texas-Baylor has any shot of being a competitive football game?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Utah didn't have Cam Rising, uh, first of all, and that I don't think that game would have been nearly as close had he played. Uh, Texas has Quinn Ewers. So um, it's going to be a whole lot different situation. Also, Blake Shapin's still not back for that Baylor team. Another thing I'll add, I think Wyoming might be kind of good. They have been tough in games. I'm actually planning on betting on them this weekend. But, um, yeah, (laughs) I I, I don't think Texas has a whole lot to worry about going to Baylor this weekend. I really don't. They do seem to have a pretty tough little team that can uh, stay in some football games, but I don't see it.
0: James, out of those games I just mentioned, those out-of-conference, those non-SEC games, what Which of the one is the most intriguing to you?
1: I mean, that's almost an unfair question because it's such a good weekend lineup. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for Saturday's slate. I would, I mean, there, there are multiples that intrigue me, but I would have to circle two as far as non-conference goes, which uh, the first being that Colorado and Oregon game. And you mean um, non
0: conference as in non SEC. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So, my, my bad. Yeah, non SEC game. So, um, Oregon, Colorado, for sure. I want to, I mean, Colorado's been all over the place. You know, they beat TCU, then, you know, and people didn't know what to expect. Then they go handle Nebraska the way they should. But then, in all honesty, they easily could have lost to Colorado State this past week. Yeah. Um, so, hold
0: on. Let, let's pause right there and talk about this game for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, You were talking about all eyes were on them. Literally, all eyes were on them. They had 9.3 million viewers for that game. It was the fifth most watched college football game in ESPN history. And what time did it kick off again? 10 p.m. Eastern? Yeah. My gosh. For Colorado
2: State. Doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: By the way, the number one most watched game was the 2014 Iron Bowl with uh, 13.5 million viewers, which was – three and a half million view- more viewers in the second most watched game.
1: <clears throat> that 2014 Iron Bowl was a crazy game. I think that was that 55 to 44 game. Was mm-hmm. that it? In Tuscaloosa, wow. yeah. Where okay. Nick Marshall, Auburn was just kicking field goals, the Bama was scoring touchdowns was a difference. But mm-hmm. not that we need to relive that. That was painful enough when it happened. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm good with not revisiting that 10 years later. But, um, no, I think that uh, that Oregon-Colorado game is going to be really interesting. You have – Again, another, uh, kind of showdown between some Heisman contenders with Bo Nix and Shador Sanders, uh, Colorado losing Travis Hunter on, you know, he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. It sounds like a lacerated liver or something like that. I mean, it sounds not good. Um, mm, and that, that was kind of what we were, what we were talking about with that guy playing so many snaps, trying to be an Iron Man. I mean, it was almost inevitable that he gets hurt somehow. Um, it's unfortunate that it happened, but I certainly wasn't shocked by that. Um. But so yeah, I just want to see is Oregon, you know, does Bo Nix have have the squad that people are thinking that they do, and then is Colorado really uh, as as you know as good as can can they kind of keep that hype train rolling? And I was really surprised to see that opening line. Uh, that's a that's a pretty big number for two ranked teams. So, um, but but yeah, that that one is the, the kind of the first one that caught my eye when I was looking at the the slate of this weekend's games.
0: So that one, if you go back and look at Colorado state's results, it really makes that game look even worse. I, I got to mm-hmm. pull these up real quick. Colorado state. I think it may Colorado have been Washington. State not state.
2: Good.
0: I think they lost by like 36 points to Washington. Uh, they I did. mean, Washington state, pardon me. Washington
1: state. Yeah. It's even uh, worse. They 50
0: yeah. On. They lost 50 to 24 at Colorado state too. Um, and then you come back a week later and you've got Colorado on the ropes.
2: And now, Colorado Washington State might be better than Colorado, though. To well, that's, be fair. What I, well, that's what I'm saying.
0: Colorado's yeah. ranked 19th and Washington State's ranked 21st. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, it, everything about this game tells me, like, yeah, I'd be scared to death to give Shador Sanders 21 points for our betting man, but it feels like Vegas is like, Please
2: bet the house on Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> Please. No, they are. I, I 100% agree. And, in fact, this is another one of my picks for this week. I actually I've, I put it on Oregon, minus 20 and a half. Um, this is really simple, though, to me. I mean, Colorado has one of the worst running rush defenses in the nation. They have been getting ru- the ball run. This is the 12th worst in the country. And Oregon has an elite rushing attack. I think they're in the top 10 in rushing yards, in the nation. Uh, so I think they exploit that all game. And now uh, Colorado hadn't faced a defense as good as Oregon's either. Um, and now the one thing that they may do pretty well, which is stop the – which is uh, their pass defense, they lose Travis Hunter. You know, so I think Bo Nix will be able to have a field day with the guys that are left out there. I think Oregon's going to beat the Brakes off of Colorado. So –
0: I mean, I can't wait to watch that game. There's <laughs> how soon does the buzz around Colorado, I know it's not gonna go away, but how soon does it fizzle if they get the brakes beat off of them? I know you got I know you got Caleb Williams coming into Boulder the very next week, which by the way, that is a 10 a.m. local time kickoff. It is a big noon kickoff that USC Colorado game. They start mm, at twelve wow. Eastern, a nine a.m. kickoff for USC. Uh, wow. That's Colorado, weird. you've got the biggest game you've had since basically Cordell Stewart was a college. They're going to make you start at ten a. How does that <laughs> just the television schedule? Bit big noon kickoff has that. I think they have those Pac twelve rights, the right? and, and that's wow. the, that's their sexy spot. So that's where they want it. That's wild.
1: Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I, I think to to answer that question, Clark, I think that it will certainly. Uh, kind of bring it back down to earth a little bit. And then I think it will come even further down if Colorado gets blasted by USC, kind of the way that I think they will. So um, yeah, you know, it was all hype and it's been, you know, prime this prime that everybody is flying high. And then all of a sudden this past weekend, it's kind of like, Whoa, you know, maybe let's pump the brakes a little bit. And I think people are really going to pump the brakes after this weekend.
0: But I Mm -hmm. think that's the best thing that could have happened to this story is that, the Colorado State game, and it being that late and being the fifth most watched ESPN college football game of all time, everybody up late talking about it, NFL fans who never watched college football watching this game, <laughs> and it being all this hype around it, sure Sanders wearing the sunglasses on the field afterwards, hmm. and it, 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 it yeah. just like elevated it even more. But at the same time, you're like, y'all barely beat Colorado State and honestly had no business winning that game. So you're a much worse team than we think you are, but the excitement level is elevated, yeah. and it's just setting up for this just horrific cliff push that is just <laughs>
1: now. <laughs> what, have what's, them- what's going to be crazy is if Colorado beats Oregon, and then yeah. what is that reaction going to be like? I mean, holy cow! Oh,
0: yeah, I mean, Shador Sanders for Heisman. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the first reaction. Oh, I think, and we're and, right and, and
2: it's if he gets a big win, yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you have Shador Sanders, who's the Heisman favorite going up against the guy who won the Heisman last year next week in Boulder. Man, talking Woo, about Fo- get your Fox. Ready.
1: Will, yeah, Fox will be <laughs> super pumped for that one.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I just don't I just don't see it happening. I just I don't, don't have faith in him yet. I haven't seen him play anybody. Uh I even went back and looked at Nebraska scores in their games and TCU scores and just in Colorado state scores and just trying to gauge how really good those teams were. And it's hard to see, but they're not. Yeah. yeah. When when you lose spot 36 at home to Washington state, and then you go on the road to Colorado and and punch them in the mouth. And by the way, can we talk about something else? There's so much talk going around this team and everybody lifting up and telling them how great they are. And I know it's an awesome story and I'm glad they're doing it. But when have y'all ever seen a quarterback, a quarterback in the middle of a game, stand in the middle of the field, talk noise to a defender, and then reach his fingers yeah, inside in the, the guy's face yeah. mask and <laughs> poke him in the eyes. And nobody mentions it. I like, know. that is like a non-story. Yeah, I didn't Brad, remember I, had, I asked you about it. Yeah. In the new... I was like, no, I haven't seen that yet.
1: Um, yeah, That's yeah.
0: Like, I... I I'm glad Shador Sanders is a big deal. I'm, I'm glad he's got all this hype around him, but I can't watch that and be like, yeah, that's cool, man.
1: Yeah. That, <laughs> that's just not cool. I going to pull for that guy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's one thing to be at the bottom of a scrum and you kind of just reach in there when maybe nobody's looking and just a bunch of bodies are on top of you. But it, when it's just you looking man to man with somebody nah, in their eye was... and you pull two fingers out and reach inside there. I was oh. like
1: three stooges style. Like, yes. Yeah. He's yes, Larry Curley and Mo, like straight up. <laughs> I'm surprised the defender didn't put his hand up, you know, to to block the <laughs> thing he's going in. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So so that game really intrigues me. And then you know, you mentioned there are a couple of other ones like the the. Uh, I'm I'm really intrigued by Florida State at Clemson, just because that's kind of been the battle of the ACC here recently. Absolutely. Um, but the the main one that you mentioned. Uh, that I'm the most interested in besides that Oregon and Colorado game has got to be Ohio state um, traveling to South bend, Indiana to take on Notre Dame. So um, just two storied programs. We're still trying to figure out exactly what they are this year. Sam Hartman has looked awesome so far. Um, So, you know, if he has a big game, they end up winning, then that's going to propel him to the top uh, of the Heisman race. So uh, a lot Mm -hmm. at stake there. So that one's going to be really compelling to watch too.
2: Yeah, I
0: agree. Go ahead, Go ahead, You know what I put yeah. in my notes? You know what I put in my notes about this game? What's that? I just put zero clue what to expect and yeah. put a period I mean, at the I, end of it. And I, I,
2: I really don't either, else. honestly. No I'm clue. buying Notre Dame, man. I think that uh I think this team is now. They on got track the better quarterback. To, Sam Hartman leads the nation in passing touchdowns. Yeah. Fifth in the country in passing yards. Dude, I, something I didn't realize is Audrick Estime. Is that how you say his name? He leads the nation in rushing too. This offense is loaded. They have a really good offensive line. Uh, they, in three of the four games they played, they hadn't allowed, allowed a single snap, uh, sack. I actually think this game will probably be pretty high scoring. But uh, this is my third pick of this week. I have taken Notre Dame money line at home. I think they nice. beat Ohio State. Um, okay, so you got that Notre offense Dame money. is loaded, and Which their defense you- is really good too. It's fourth in the nation in yards allowed. What, what's the line on that game? So it is I Ohio think it's Ohio State minus, minus three. three. A high yeah.
1: state minus three on the road. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Brad, you got you got Notre Dame money line. You I like got it. Oregon uh, giving up 20 and a half. You got mm-hmm. the Redskins uh, plus six and a half. The uh, R-Words. Last week, you went one, <laughs> last week, you went one and two. Man, I've, we're, we called them the San Diego Chargers. Yeah, we, uh, as mean, soon as I said that, I was going, God, there's fun. Yeah. I'm
1: getting old. Yeah, it, it, it just gets tough, man. I'm just, glad,
0: I'm just glad the Cleveland Guardians aren't in the wild card race God, right now. Man. I'm never um, calling them that. No, no. Uh, so Brad went one and two last week. He won his Duke bet. He lost his Kansas State bet, and he lost his Georgia back. <clears throat> he is mm-hmm. three and three on the season. And now he's going to uh, give the NFL a little bit of trial with this Washington yeah. pick along the picks, with
2: the picks of the week. We're two and oh. I will say that. But we're, Clark and I were talking about this this weekend. We're kind of in purgatory right now. The last thing we want to happen is to be at 500. We either want to <laughs> do really, really well or really, really bad. <laughs> we do yeah, not want to be at 500. That Kansas that State game.
1: That kid getting out there (laughs) kicking a sixty-one yard field goal to win for Missouri. Mm. I mean, I was watching that when they lined up to kick, I'm going, Are you kidding me? You know, what are y'all doing? And I was like, Kansas State, put a guy deep. Here comes another big six situation. That dude bombed that thing, man. I was like that was now given that guy hadn't missed many meals lately. So he put everything he had into that, (laughs) you know, into that kick.
2: But yeah, that guy's ah, a monster of a kicker. I
1: know. He reminds me of like Jared Lorenzen as a kicker. Same guy that
2: missed the kick against Auburn last year. I know. He
1: missed a 19-yarder to beat (laughs) Auburn last year. He makes a 61-yarder. So, yeah. It it
0: reminds me of uh, uh, Money Maher, the Cowboys kicker last year, who every time they sent him out for 60-yarders, he would drill him. and then he misses five extra points in a playoff game. And you're like, oh, my gosh, you just have the yips when you get up close. Yeah. See, you know how James can revert anything back to an Auburn? take i can bring anything <laughs> back to a cowboy's take <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a
1: unique talent that we have yeah that is a skill that y'all possess
0: for sure uh but <laughs> let's go back to that florida state clemson game real quick. Yeah. yeah uh one thing that nobody's talking about that they will soon me talking about and y'all know what i saw today so there is an unnamed storm off the uh Atlantic coast right now. I mean, like one of those swirly things. It looks like a hurricane. It's not strong enough to be one one yet.
1: Meteorologists are one of those swirly things. That's right.
0: That's right. Uh, Sports worked out. Thank God the weather didn't. Um, But so, anyways, it's an unnamed storm. It's it's. Coming like right at the Carolinas, uh sometime to make landfall on Friday or Saturday, because so that could add another wrinkle. That game starts at noon on Saturday, so mm. it could not be it worse timing. Interesting. The, the lines haven't moved yet. Nobody everybody's kind of still just keeping their eye on it. Like I said, this is breaking meteorology news right now. Uh, <laughs> that you'll only find and steal your take. But yeah, uh that game. So FSU has 14 starters from the transfer portal going up against a bunch of dudes who are four and five stars on Clemson. Uh, it's just an interesting matchup. I mean, an interesting contest of, of program building. Uh, I also found it interesting that the average age of, age of Clemson's offensive starters is 19, and the average age, age of FSU starters, both on O and D, is 22. So FSU's kind of getting Clemson at a good time before these young guys grow up. FSU clearly has way more experience. Yeah, uh, they did look mortal against Boston College last yes, week. That Boston College what
2: was ran
0: that? all over them. So I'm wondering if Klubnik's got the legs to actually punish them the way that Boston College kid did. Uh, it's hard to have any faith in Clemson after what we saw, not only against Duke, but then the first half against who was it, Charleston or whatever they played the next week, where they were down to them. So that just six bad quarters of football in a row against crappy mm. schools to start the year. Yeah. Um, <sighs> That's tough. I, I, but, again, it's almost like ve- Vegas is begging you, just being like, yep, two and a half, take it.
2: Mm. Yeah, that, that has me nervous, too. I mean, I, I, I was really – I think of all the games this past weekend, like including the Alabama game, I was most shocked by how Florida State looked this yeah. weekend. Uh, and I saw that they went like the one and nine on uh, third downs. Like Jordan Travis just didn't look like himself. Boston College was getting to him and getting after him after we kind of raved about how well – um. One, that they protected him, but two, that he was able to get the ball out quickly and all that. It just looked like a totally different team against a Boston College team that was – I mean, I saw multiple uh, different articles preseason that had them as one of the worst teams in the uh, Power Five conferences. Um, They put up 450 yards on that defense. Uh, So – yeah, that was a pretty shocking game to see. And
0: they had the ball uh, down one score. Yeah. at the end they with outscored the them to thirteen to
2: nothing it. in the fourth quarter too. Yeah. That's the other thing about it is like a good team needs to needs to close that like that. They need to shut that down. And Boston College just came storming back
1: at the end. Well, I, I feel uh, like their coach made a mistake too. I think they were down by fifteen, and they went for two on the first touchdown instead of kicking the extra point to be down by eight for that second score. I don't know why mm. they. They did that, but I remember seeing that and I was like, What why you know, take the points now and then worry about the getting the two later. Um which I thought that was interesting. But Boston College, man, they've always kinda you know being able to play that spoiler role, like I remember that two thousand one yeah, Miami, Miami team that was so yeah. strong. Yeah, I mean, they. I'll had will never to, forget to have that game. Pick six to to win that game, you know, by that Ed Reed. Game. Yeah, yeah, and then you even go back, you know, to Doug Flutie with what he did against Miami and all that. Mm-hmm. So Boston College kind of kind <clears> of <throat> plays that role sometimes, but yeah, I was definitely yeah. surprised uh, that they hung with Florida State the way they did.
2: Yep. Yeah. The other thing I'll say about that game, that was like I don't remember there ever being this many penalties in a game. but Boston College had eighteen penalties yeah. in yeah. that game. Yeah. Insane! <laughs> I was like, oh my god! Yeah, it has to be some sort of. It's not what
0: Colorado State had on on Saturday night. Yeah. Colorado State just showed up <clears throat> playing bully ball and didn't care, and yeah, yeah the they did from. not. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll kind of move to the SEC. There there is one game I'll touch on real quick uh, that I actually think is going to be interesting. I mean, it's going to be competitive but boring, and that's Oregon State at Washington State. James, you don't have to worry about eating socks anymore, DJ. <laughs> ooh, that was rough, man. So they told beat you. San Diego State twenty-six he is to nine. Who he, is. he had one touchdown and two picks on less than fifty percent completion percentage. I mean, against San Diego State, uh, that's just bad. So uh, no one hundred to one DJ Heisman odds. No sock eating. Uh, you are safe. <laughs> Let's move it to the SEC. Uh, where do we start? Let's just start right there with. Ole Miss, number 15 in the nation at number 13, Bama. It's a 3.30 Eastern CBS game. Uh, Ole Miss is catching seven in this one. Brad, how do you feel about the Tide entering this one?
2: Pretty much the same as I did coming out of the Texas game. I know that's a weird thing to say after the game this past weekend, uh, but the offensive line was the trouble in the Texas game, and that was the trouble on Saturday to me. I think that Milroe was always the guy – um, I don't think that they had a lot of chance to put these other two quarterbacks in the game uh when they played against Middle Tennessee uh because they had to prepare that offense to be ready for Texas. So I think that they if it didn't go perfectly, knew that this would probably come. Against South Florida, they knew that they could do this and still so win their that last game comfortably addition
0: someone else. That's right. is what you're
2: saying. That's yeah. their only chance. Really? Yeah. Um So they knew that this could happen and they could – look, it does a couple things. I think it rallies the team behind Milrow now because I think that they know that this is their guy and they need him to play well. Um, I think it puts Milrow in check too. It lets them know that it's not impossible for him to lose his job. Maybe a little extra motivation. It also shut up Alabama fans that have been so critical of him. Like, is there any question anymore about who needs to play quarterback at Alabama? Mm. No, I don't think there is. Um, I think they would have beat the Brakes off of South Florida this weekend. Had Milro been in that game. Um the defense played a lot better. Dallas Turner had two and a half sacks. Um granted it's again it's South Florida, but they looked a lot better, and only gave up three points. So all in all, uh I saw a lot of people panicking after that game and it just wasn't me. I just think that they did what they had to do to get that win out of the way. And like you said, it was most mostly just it was almost like an exhibition game, it felt like to me. Um and just move on to Ole Miss. Now that's not to say all those concerns coming out of the Texas game, they still remain today. I'm pretty <laughs> concerned about the Ole Miss
0: game. You're saying a, a 10-3 lead late in the fourth quarter <laughs> against South Florida didn't alleviate any concerns of yours? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying it's all the same stuff, though. Like I just think that the offensive line is a
0: hot, garbage. huge,
2: huge, huge problem for this team. Um, and I just can't imagine what that's going to look like this weekend against Ole Miss. <clears throat> Who wins? I guess Alabama will probably win. I'm not I'm not prepared to say that they're gonna lose that game. But I don't James, feel good about it. I don't I'll tell you this, I'm not betting on Alabama.
0: So the Nine line seven. Was, the line was eleven and a half before the South Florida game, and then it got down to as much as six. It settled at seven. James <laughs> how do you see this game playing out? Uh and as an Auburn fan, are you kind of thinking that maybe this Iron Bowl could go a little bit differently now.
1: Well, I mean, in all honesty, speaking to the Iron Bowl, I felt like Auburn always has a chance in that game when that's played in Auburn, and especially for sure, fir- first-year coaches tend to, for whatever reason, do well in that game. Um, so I felt like the Iron Bowl is winnable. Now, I don't think Auburn's going to win, but I think it's winnable. I, I'm feeling a lot better about Auburn's chances against a lot of SEC teams now after the first couple of weeks. I don't see anyone that's just like, floors me, you know, just blows me away as being great. Um but that being said, for this particular matchup, um, man, you know, you gotta know that Lane Kiffin just would love nothing more than to waltz into Tuscaloosa <clears throat> and and beat Saban and company in there. But I just don't see it happening, man. Saban is, has what, like five home losses in his entire tenure before the Texas game. I just don't see mm-hmm. that he loses two this early in the the same season, you know? So uh, I think that Bama, yeah, they have problems, but I'm pretty sure that Ole Miss does too. Um, And so I think that Alabama will win this game. I just have trouble picking against uh, Saban and and Alabama at home. Um, But, yeah, I think it's going to be really entertaining. I'm definitely going to watch the game. And, yeah, just there's part of me that's going, man, Kiffin, I feel like always has this game circled of wanting to make sure that his squad is ready to show up against Alabama. And, and typically they have been, you know, those have been really good games uh, the past couple of years. Well, I don't even remember what happened last year, but I remember a couple of years ago when it was just a track meet back and forth and um, a super entertaining game. But um, yeah, I think ultimately Alabama will win. I hate that line. I feel like it's going to end up like right at seven. So, I mean, Vegas knows what yeah. they're doing, but yeah, I wouldn't mm-hmm. touch that, but I think Alabama will win.
0: So if I'm on Miss, it is imperative that I jump out early on Alabama. You put, you get up 10 nothing, and you just have panic running through that stadium. People just getting downright angry. <laughs> There's no enthusiasm going around. There's no loud stadium on third downs. The, the sidelines freaking out. Jalen Milrose looking over his shoulder. It is so important for Ole Miss to get up early in that game. If I'm Kiffin, I'm taking the ball first. I'm trying some stuff right out of the gates. I want to get a lead in this game and just see if I can make Bama play scared. I'm also wondering if I know Tommy Reese is going to be the play caller, but I'm now wondering if Nick Saban's the offensive coordinator. <laughs> and what, what yeah. I mean by that is did Nick Saban go in this week and say, We're running this offense. Here are the plays you can call. Here's what I want Jalen Milrow doing. Feel free to call whatever play you want as long as it's on these 12 pages or whatever. Mm. I would be very surprised if we go against another Power 5 school and another former Saban assistant back in Tuscaloosa and we try to run the same Tommy Reese offense that we did against Texas and South Florida. I, I think you just have to say, all right, we have to just let Jalen Milrow be who he is. And we have to just try to play ball control offense. Slow down the opponent the best we can on defense and let Jalen's legs, you know, help get us down the field. Um he can still hit the big throws, he can still hit the deep ball. I'm totally fine if Jalen Milrow's throwing at 60 yards and throwing an interception. That's fine with me. Uh I don't want him doing it often, but just don't throw those. You know those fifteen yard stops, mm-hmm. those ten yards outs. Uh, so I think we see a, a much different offense. I think we, it's much more tailored to Jalen Milrow's game. And like I said, I think Saban <laughs> is really in Tommy Reese's ear this game and saying like, "You're going to run my style of offense." Uh, Green A few other games in the SEC, uh, nothing too intriguing, but it, it will show. It will teach us a lot. Auburn plus seven and a half at A and M. Uh, this is always a great game in terms of just pure entertainment uh, and competitiveness. James, how do you feel about this? Can, can Auburn score enough? A&M's averaging 44 points a game. I know I know it's against New Mexico, Miami, and Louisiana Monroe, but can Auburn keep up on the scoreboard with this A&M team?
1: Yeah, I don't know. That's going to be interesting to see. Um, Auburn's offense looked much better uh, this past week. They It took a while for them to score because they were trying – uh, kind of what y'all were talking about with what happened uh, with Alabama against South Florida, how they were kind of auditioning. Auburn was, I think, trying to iron out some things before the SEC schedule started. Uh, so there were a couple of trips down in the red zone where Auburn refused to run the ball. They wanted to try to, I guess, certain plays and see how the quarterback could throw into tight windows. Um, ended up in a couple of interceptions in the end zone. And then also there was a turnover on downs uh, at the 20 yard line. So, but I'm not really concerned about that because. Again, I think that in a normal game plan that they would have handled that differently. Um, but Peyton Thorne is looking more comfortable at quarterback. Uh, the running back room looks good. The offensive line is not as terrible as it's been in the past, so that's good. Uh, just need need some playmakers to step up at the wide receiver position and also need uh, need Peyton Thorne to kind of trust his guys. You know, he's been – Kind of hesitant. He's done it a couple of times, but to put up a 50-50 ball and to know with a guy like Rivaldo Fairweather, who's Auburn's tight end, who's like 6'4 and 260 pounds and and you know can really run, that that ball is really more like a sixty-four 40 or even maybe a 70-30, depending on where it's placed. So having faith in the playmakers on the outside. But um, another concern for me going in is Auburn has not really been able to manufacture a pass rush with just rushing four. Um, even against playing teams like UMass and then Cal and Samford, um, they have had to dial up, whether it's, you know, bringing an extra linebacker or bringing a nickel off the edge, or even, you know, a safety corner, whatever it is, uh, bringing an extra rusher, which has been effective, but also, you know, if that's not getting home, that definitely leaves you vulnerable to some big plays. So um, it'll be interesting to see for whatever reason, the injury bug has kind of hit this team. So the best edge rusher, Jalen McLeod, is not completely healthy. Keontae Scott, who was one of the starting nickels, just had to have surgery. Uh, so he's out for a couple of weeks on an ankle that he hurt this past weekend. Uh, Donovan Kaufman, who was another nickel, had to uh, sit out last week with a concussion. I think he'll be back. But um, if not, then they're really going to have to kind of patch things together on the back end. So that concerns me with the way that – Connor Wegman, isn't that the Texas a m quarterback? Um, yeah. With the way that he's been playing, I don't want a patchwork quilt back there in the defensive backfield. If Auburn starters are playing, I feel a lot better about that. So um, we'll see. But, yeah, it's, uh, that's going to be a telling game. But Auburn has had success traditionally over in College Station. So that's been one of those weird series where the road team yeah. has had a lot of success. Yeah. Um, so yeah. as far as the Auburn plus seven and a half, honestly, I like it. I don't know if Auburn's going to win outright, but I think it's going to be a really, really close game.
0: I have no idea what to expect. Brad, what do you have to say?
2: Um, I don't know
1: that I have a
0: lot to have. I didn't stand up to see that Auburn Cal game. So it's hard for me without seeing that game to have it. This will be my first time really seeing Auburn (laughs) this I'll tell you this. this,
2: If you did see it, you would be saying that Texas A&M is going to win by 40. But, um, that offense looked really, really bad in that game. But then this past weekend, and I didn't get to see their game. I just kind of watched a few highlights and, uh, Looked at the stats. I mean, their quarterbacks, Robbie Ashford actually scored again this weekend. Mm-hmm. Peyton Thorne had four total touchdowns. Um, so he looked incredible. I didn't realize he had a he could run quite like that. Yeah. Not over a hundred yards rushing. Um maybe this offense is more dynamic than we gave it credit for. Again, it's Sanford, but I wonder if we're getting a look at what this offense really is now. Um, I don't know what to expect. I kind of think Texas AM wins and covers. Just because their offense has been doing this all season, uh and Auburns has looked really bad against better teams I mean Cal's not even that good mm-hmm. to be honest with you um so um but I did I will say again, I think Auburn has a good defense because Cal couldn't do anything to move the ball, and they have one of the best rush they're like top five in the country in running the ball, and they didn't look that way against Auburn, so I do think this is a good defense that'll make it Closer than perhaps the games leading up to it would lead you to believe,
0: and like you said, James, the SEC is intriguing for all the wrong reasons right now. Uh, I mean, Tennessee was one of those teams that I had a little bit of hope for of being—I wouldn't say a national title contender, but somebody who yeah. could make some noise uh, at and, least push Georgia. Around.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
0: then you see that showing <clears throat> against Florida, and you're like, wow. Uh, you guys have definitely taken a step back since last year.
2: Uh, yeah, but I mean, now he, Georgia too also doesn't look exceptional against the South Carolina team. That right. Got I I'm, mean I'm granted Georgia, down on
0: Georgia. The second half, I thought they.
2: <clears throat> well, I think you, you were headed Georgia, in a don't. direction that I think is an interesting question. It's it's one of two scenarios to me. Is this the most wide open the SEC's been in over ten years, or is it just Georgia and everybody else? I think it's and
0: here's here's how I'm going to answer that question is I no I don't think it is because when I look at last weekend and I see Ole Miss stomp Mississippi State's I mean not Ole Miss LSU stomp Mississippi State's face in and immediately LSU vaults up to my second best team in the SEC because of how they looked at Mississippi State right. I'm like yeah. I'm like wow the SEC does not have very many good teams this year um, and we saw it lsu did against florida state week one and then we saw what florida state did against boston college and i'm just like all right i think we've got one tier one team in georgia we got a tier two and by tier two i mean like fringe top 10 in lsu and then we've got a few tier three teams like Ole miss and alabama and tennessee maybe Mm. florida i don't know Uh, i don't (laughs) think so yeah I mean, who are kind of better five, than
2: we thought they'd be, I'll tell you. Yeah, they kind are. Of
0: scramb, who are kind of scrambling that and 10 20 area. Yeah. Um, so, well, no, I don't think the SEC's wide open. And then you look at non-conference records, SEC's five and 7
1: mm-hmm. uh, I think that's pretty uh, telling.
0: Non-conference against power five opponents. Yeah. It's just Clark,
1: cool. I, I do have something to add. You know, we, we kind of touched on this after it happened in the reaction show, but if I'm an LSU fan right now, I am pissed off for my coach's game plan against Florida State because yeah. – They were trying to have Harold Perkins play middle linebacker. This past weekend, they let that dude eat, and he was, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what his stats he was, but that guy was all over the field. Um, Absolute difference maker. And not only that, Jaden Daniels was flinging the ball all over the place. Against Florida State, all of their throws were, like, within five yards of the line of scrimmage. And so Florida State was just packing it in. They were not – they didn't have to respect LSU's deep ball at all. And I don't know why, because that neighbor's kid for LSU was just torching Mississippi State. They, I mean, and Jay Daniels was throwing the ball great downfield. And so it's like, what the hell were y'all doing week one? You know, why did it take getting to this point before y'all did it? Because they looked outstanding against, now given it was Mississippi State, but still it was on the road in the SEC and they looked really good.
0: Yep.
3: hmm.
0: Yep. And then, Brad, you've got a little bit of Pac 12 information for us. So, in talking about these. Non-conference records versus power 5 opponents. Here's what I found fascinating. The Pac-12 is the only one with a winning record. ACC's 8 and 8, Big 12's 6 and 6, SEC's 5 and 7, and Big 10's even worse 5 and 8 against power 5 opponents. Meanwhile, the mm-hmm. Pac-12 is 7 and 3 against power 5 yeah. opponents. Uh, mm-hmm. Brad, what else is going on in the Pac-12 that in the last year of this century plus old conference?
2: Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of wild that in their final year that they are this stacked with not just good football teams, but like all these storylines and and potential Heisman contenders, um, great quarterback play. I mean the cor- the conference got started out on fire. I mean you touched on the non conference play; they started out eighteen and zero before anyone in that conference lost a game. That's unreal. Uh, they're now thirty and six as a conference. The next closest, I believe, I was looking at it. I had to do the math myself, but I think the SEC is next uh, with 11 losses. So um, no other conference has – no at least none of the other uh, uh, Power Five con- conferences, which you can't imagine any of the group of five would have um, fewer than that. But, I mean, the conference is just loaded, though. Eight top 25 teams right now. Um, you imagine that will change this weekend because we have three games where six of those teams will face off against one another. Um, four legit Heisman contenders in Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., Shadur Sanders, and Bo Nix. I mean, Penix Jr. leads the the country in passing yards. Shadur Sanders is a second. Cam Ward is sixth. Washington, Colorado, Washington State, and USC are all ranked one through four in team passing yards in the nation. Um, they're just dominating college football right now. There's not a lot of defense being played out there outside of Utah and Washington. But I'll tell you something, speaking of Washington, I think they do have a good defense. And you mentioned, I think you picked them for your playoff. I did. I think I, I've I've come 180 on that. That team is going to make the playoff, I think. Michael Penix Jr. is the truth, and they have a really good defense. And
0: <clears throat> did you see Mel Kuyper Jr.'s uh, latest wide, wide receiver rankings? um so he's got marvin harrison jr one the florida state kid two, and then he's got both those washington receivers number three and number four mm-hmm. um so they've got two out of the best four receivers in terms of pro prospects the most experienced quarterback in the country a guy who's already finished top 10 in the husband and he's having his best year yet right now and then to yeah. put it together with what 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 all you said but the great thing about it is if there were, if this were a Washington team of the past, you'd circle one game on the schedule and say, all right, well, that's the one they got to get past. There's yeah. all sorts of landmines out there for them this year, which makes it
2: awesome. Yeah, it'll be fun to see. I mean, we were talking about Colorado earlier, and I had their schedule pulled up. They have six top 25 teams currently. You know, who knows what that'll look like then on their schedule. And each one, you can get through each one of these teams, and they all look that way. That conference is going to be the funnest conference to watch this year because it's all offense, a lot less defense um going to be a lot of fun games out on the west coast this season in their final final season with the Pac-12 and I don't really know who to pick. And outside of Washington who I do think I think I guess that's who I'm going to back at this point. But like if it's not them, any one of those six top teams, top-tier teams could could really end up winning this conference. Out of uh Washington State, I think Oregon State's good enough to do it too. Uh USC, Colorado, and Washington and Oregon. That's seven teams actually.
0: You think Oregon State is?
2: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I know that uh, your boy DJ didn't play as well, but they've been dominant. That, t- that game this weekend will be really telling. I actually do think – played State... like San Diego State and San Jose State. Yeah, and... 100%. And Washington State, I actually would kind of back against them this weekend. But Oregon State, I mean, I just always look into how Vegas views the games. It's at Washington State and Oregon State's favor. And that's if after the- Washington State went to Wisconsin. No, I'm sorry, they hosted Wisconsin this year, but they beaten Wisconsin back to back years, but they did it again this year.
0: If you're the Mountain West, how do you try to hype up that Oregon State-Washington State game this weekend? You're like, I know it's not technically our conference yet, but <laughs> you yeah. need eyes on this game because these yeah. are the, the pride That's of the Mountain one. West We're going against each other. we got two top 25 teams going against each other, which is the first time it's happened since Boise State played whatever <laughs> lucky-ass yeah. team lucked into position number 24 one year. Probably
2: Utah before they left. Yeah. Um, um it's kind of wild, though, I, I mean, not to go back to a realignment. It's so wild to me that those two teams got left out. I feel like Washington State's been relevant. They've been to a bunch of Rose Bowls. I don't know. You'd think there'd be a fa- a place for those schools amongst the big Power Five. Maybe after they make a big push, something will change.
0: Ryan Leaf used all his influential money on Vail, so
2: couldn't <laughs> help out there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wait, Brad, did you leave out Utah in your list of Pac-12 contenders? I did. I did. I absolutely that's the team that's, you know, defending champs, man, twice. Yeah, and you're I leaving sure did. Yeah. They're ranked yeah. number 11 in the country.
2: Yep, I so sure yeah, did. There's,
1: there's some good football being played out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's hard to name them all. There's so many. Yeah. You know. It's a good problem to have.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Uh, that wraps it up for college football. Going to be an awesome Saturday. Uh, let's do final thoughts. Brad, we got uh, a little non-football to discuss. Yes, um, sir little bit of international flair to us what we got it's going
2: on coming up? yeah it's finally time we've been hitting at it for since we started the podcast but the Ryder yes, Cup are. will finally be starting next Monday uh U.S. favorites to win this thing over in Italy which is kind of wild to see they're minus 120 to win uh Europe's odds are plus 125 so I don't know why those aren't even like that but um the reason it's crazy to see takes your money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The reason it's crazy to see is because the US hasn't won in Europe for thir- in thirty years. Uh last time they won was back in nineteen ninety-three at the Belfry in England. Um and I'll tell you what, I, I've been saying this all along, but definitely concerned about our chances this year. Um I don't think we ever ran through the European Ryder Cup team, so I'll do that now real quick. Um Automatic qualifiers were John Rahm, Roy McElroy, Victor Hovland, Tyrrell Hatton, Matt Fitzpatrick, Robert McIntyre. Uh, and the captain's picks were Tommy Fleetwood, Sepp Straka, Justin Rose, Shane Lowry, Nikolai Hogard, and Lugvig Aberg. Um, I think their team is stacked, personally. That top three especially, those are three of the four best players in the world. Um, when you start to throw in guys like Matt Fitzpatrick and Tyrrell Hatton that I personally just think are great golfers. And even guys like Shane Lowry, who are captain's picks, I like better than some of our automatic qualifiers and a couple of our captain's picks. I think they have a really stout team. <clears throat> it's also like the youngest. I feel like their team's been in a long, long time. They got a, They got rid of a lot of those guys that have been – uh, they recycled a lot of those vets that we thought might have a chance to make it, like even like your Sergios and all them hanging on. Of course, they went to Libs. So that probably eliminated them. But it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. One thing I do want to f- – I don't want to focus too much on a European Ryder Cup team member, but this kid, Ludwig Aberg. I don't feel like a lot of people know who that is. He could be someone if – you, if you want someone to watch over the weekend, I think he's like maybe the next dude on the PGA Tour. Uh, he's just 23 years old, turned pro three months ago, and he made the Ryder Cup team. He's the former number one world amateur. <clears throat> Won back-to-back Ben Hogan Awards in 2022 and 2023, which is awarded to the best collegiate golfer in the U.S. Got his PGA card in June, finished 25th at the RBC Canadian Open, which is his first professional tournament. And then in July, he posted his first top five finish. So just one month and he's top five is at the John Deere Classic. And then earlier this month, gets his first win as a pro at the European Masters uh, to to earn his right to play on the team. Um, Obviously, I think that the U.S. in general has the chemistry advantage, but, man, I'm worried about our odds and I wouldn't bet on it. I'll tell you that. We'll see what happens. We'll get to talk about it more next week once it starts.
0: James, what has occurred on September 19th in the history of sports?
1: This day in sports history, September 19. I right, got some, uh, there was actually a lot of stuff, so I kind of had to uh, had to sort through it and just kind of pick out the highlights. So um, if any of you listeners are out there and like, oh man, you know, something else happened that I don't mention, sorry, but I just, uh, you know, had to, had to prioritize what I felt like was the best. So. Start off uh, almost 100 years you think, ago. You, you
0: think way too much of our listeners.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably fair. Um, almost 100 years ago in 1925, U.S. National Championship men's tennis, Bill Tilden wins his sixth consecutive U.S. title and beats Bill Johnson for the fourth straight year. So Bill Johnson was probably just like, that damn Bill Tilden? <laughs> Got him four years in a row. Um, so, yeah, Bill Tilden actually... Uh, my neighbors are big tennis fans. One of their dogs is named Tilden after Bill Tilden. So um, old school tennis legend, but 1925, he won his sixth straight. Um, So jumping forward to 1947, a name that pretty much any sports fan is familiar with. Jackie Robinson is named rookie of the year in 1947.
0: Heck
3: yeah.
1: Yeah. So I saw that. I I like that one. Uh, Going forward. Probably
0: uh, Probably wasn't a close vote either.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Jackie Robinson, man, that guy was, was remarkable. His, I mean, he was just an unbelievable athlete. Uh, Everyone knows him for integrating baseball, but that dude was just outstanding at anything that he did.
0: Point guard on the UCLA basketball team, on the track team.
1: Uh, Yeah. Did he
0: play football as well?
1: I want to say, I think he lettered in four sports when he was at UCLA. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So yeah, I think, and, and honestly, I think he he's
0: an he's an underrated baseball player just because yeah. he's just known for more important things.
1: Yeah. Um. So yeah, 1947 Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year. So then going forward a couple more years, 1955. Uh, I just uh, picked this one because I love this guy, Cubs slugger Ernie Banks, Mr. Cub himself, hits his record fifth grand slam of the season. James, so,
0: you know, fun fact: that's our second Ernie Banks. I was going to say. Uh, I remembered. Uh, this day in sports history. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: feel, you it know, he's, he's not quite as uh, prevalent as Nolan Ryan is on these, which we'll, we'll have to keep <laughs> a leaderboard. I think that, I think this might be the first one I've done without Nolan Ryan on it. Honestly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, Ernie Banks, I, I you know, love that guy. All, t- all time. I do too. Um, so then going forward in 1973, there are a couple from 73 that are baseball related. So Frank Robinson, who is the Angels' outfielder, homers in his record 32nd Major League Ballpark, which Clark, of all places, had happened in Arlington Stadium against the Rangers.
0: One of mm. the worst stadiums ever built. <laughs> <laughs> but it did have a really cool Texas-shaped scoreboard out in left center field.
1: <laughs> nice. Uh, that's funny. Should have
0: kept that and demolished the rest.
1: But, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool that he homered in 32 different uh, ballparks. So that's that's pretty solid. Uh, also, in 19- also, oh, also Frank Robinson,
0: the only guy to win MVPs in both the American League and National League. I think he's the only one. In, 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 am I right about that?
1: I don't hmm. know. That's an interesting one. I have to go do some digging on that. If because so, that's I a feel, good stat.
0: I feel like the reason I say that is because there was some talk when Mookie Betts was approaching Acuna that Mookie might be the second. Yeah. So, But I think Frank Robinson... I know Frank Robinson did it. I'm just wondering yeah. if he's the
1: only one who ever did it. Mm. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that.
0: Stud also mm. was a uh, manager. Dude was all over MLB. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then also
1: in 1973 in the world of baseball, the NL refuses to allow the San Diego Padres to move to Washington, D.C.
0: 73, mm. you said?
1: Yeah. I never knew about that. I didn't either. So I thought that was interesting. Mm. Hmm. And, and of course... Father- Padres so are still in like, San Diego, and Washington has a baseball team now.
0: The Padres, as we know, are the fathers. I wonder if they'd have moved to D.C. if they'd have been called the founding fathers.
1: Mm. Mm. Deep, deep thoughts the, with Clark. The, this <laughs> this is so, so there, there's a studio
0: thing on this podcast where you can like add in like, and applause, and, and <laughs> laughter, be the spot and all for that it. stuff. Yeah, I don't need to do that just yeah. to... Uh, or I'll remove those silences that, or want silence that
3: just
1: though. out of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So then moving forward a little bit more, this one uh, I chose just because I feel like it was a super memorable uh, moment of sports. But in 1988, American diver Greg Louganis smashes his head on the diving board at the Seoul Olympics. And he then mm. recovered to qualify and won the finals the next day. Um, you know, but that was wow. a, a memorable moment of him hitting his head and then, you know, blood in the pool and all the that blood stuff. Blood water. Yeah. 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 yeah, Big deal. So that Absolutely. happened on this day in 1988, interestingly enough. Hmm. Um, so then in 1992, Barry Bonds joins Willie Mays, Howard Johnson, and Ron Gant as having two 30-30 seasons. <laughs> 30 bombs, 30 steals in the season. Barry Bonds joins that club. Man, young Barry Bonds. That guy could do it all.
0: So who had be- who had better buys and tries, Barry Bonds or Ron Gant?
1: I wouldn't have guessed
2: Ron Gant was on that list. That's yeah. impressive to know. That's a good bit of trivia. But Ron Gant, to answer your question, <laughs> yeah, Ron Gant, dude, I <laughs> know was Jack.
0: From from elbow to shoulder, it was only like three inches, but around yeah. it was like hundred. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, that dude was Jack for sure. Um. All right. So then, it, also in 1992, demolition begins of JFK Stadium in Philadelphia. Uh, so it had been built in 1926, and of mm. course, it hosted uh, you know over 40 Army Navy football games. It had the Beatles, Rolling Stones, uh, all sorts of different stuff. So a storied mm-hmm. stadium is demolished yeah. in Philly in 1992. Um, mm. And then just a couple more moving forward to 2000. Ken Griffey Jr. Pinch hits for his 400th 400th home run, becoming the first major league player to hit their 400th bomb as a pinch hitter. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little factoid there. Yeah, Yeah, that is interesting. And of course we all, everybody on this show loves Griffey. So had to mention that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, 2004 is another uh, record. This one's kind of dubious. NFL Oakland wide receiver in 2004 wide receiver Jerry Rice ends NFL streak of 274 consecutive games with a catch in a game against the Buffalo Bills.
0: That's a ridiculous wow. stat.
1: 274 <laughs> straight games with a catch.
2: Wow. That My goodness. That guy was Unreal.
1: unbelievable. And then the last one is in 2017, a new major league record for most home runs in a season is, is uh, 10, Capped off by Alex Gordon of the Kansas City Royals, hitting number 5,694 for season. So that happened in 2017. Um, not sure if more have been hit since, but I just saw that and was like, oh, okay. Yeah, so, I'd be willing uh,
2: to bet that record's been broken. No, I would 19, imagine that they, it has. Yeah. 19, they smashed
1: it like three teams twins record, broke
2: the, yeah. Yeah, the team home run record. Mm-hmm. Okay. Had to have gotten crushed that year.
1: But, yeah, yeah, that one was just you know that happened this day in history, so I had to had to touch on it. Man, Alex Gordon was was good back in the day. He had a, yeah, he was. He had a couple World of years where he, yeah, a couple of years where he was good. Yeah. But that, that's what I got. Good stuff.
0: So my final thoughts: I will be in Cincinnati on Friday. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see the Ellie De La Cruz show. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cool thing about this, I, I've been looking forward to it for forever. We've talked about Ellie De La Cruz on the show. Um, the 21-year-old shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds that just basically came into the league and was arguably the most exciting player in baseball from the second he stepped on the, on the field, just doing things we haven't seen before by stealing second, third, and home uh, on four pitches or whether it's throwing 100 miles an hour and, and having the hardest relay throw in Major League Baseball history or uh, you know hitting for the cycle in his seventh game. Just The, the kid has just done things that are just h- tough to see. But as much as I've applauded him and, and just been blown away by this kid's natural ability uh, I got to talk about him when he's down as well. Um, He's going through some intense struggles right now uh, that rookies often do the kind of books, the book's kind of been written on him right now uh, in terms of what, how teams are approaching him. Um, Like a lot of guys, they come up to the majors and, They see a lot of fastballs and they start spanking fastballs. And then it's like, all right, we're just going to keep throwing your breaking stuff. And he hadn't been able to hit the breaking stuff. Uh, In his last 55 games entering this week, he's had 215 at bats, only had seven home runs, uh, 20 RBIs, uh, batting 181,
3: Mm.
0: uh, only a 261 on base percentage. He's batting 167 in September. And this is as the Reds sit half a game out of the NL wildcard race. I'm not worried about where this kid's going to be in the future. He's, I think he's still going to be a superstar. Uh He needed to go through this, Um, but it just shows you how hard baseball is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they asked Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders was on TV the other day talking about all the things he's done in his life and not just returning kicks or playing wide receiver or playing DB, but uh being on the track team and being that Jackie Robinson style athlete and all the things he's great at. And they asked him, what's the hard, what's the hardest thing there is. And he says, hitting a baseball. And he didn't hesitate. Um, so Ellie Dela Cruz is struggling right Mm. now. Hopefully he can do something amazing while I'm at the ballpark on Friday, but I'm also looking forward to seeing Joey Votto, man. Uh, 17 seasons with the Reds. There's a good chance that if the Reds do not make the playoffs this year, uh, that this is Joey Votto's last homestand. Um, there's been no more popular red since the big red machine than Joey Votto. Uh, he's got like a lifetime war of something like 64. I looked it up right before the show. That is going to struggle to get him into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think the lowest in the Hall of Fame is Harold Baines, but that's kind of a joke. Harold Baines has like a 36 war or something. There's even a joke about it being the Baines meter. And uh, there's a podcast I listen to that keeps a running tab of all like the guys you would never think that have passed Harold Baines in war. Uh, Harold Baines was a big accumulator, but Harold Baines is not my mm. final thought. It's uh, Ellie Dela Cruz and Joey Votto, um, six-time All-Star, former MVP. Uh, I I'd like to see him make progress on that Cooperstown ballot. I do think there is a slight chance he could get in. Uh, mm. Gold Glove, six-time All-Star, MVP. Not everybody's done that, but regardless, Joey Votto, Val- Joey Votto, one of the coolest dudes in baseball. Um, just such an outstanding professional. He means the world to Cincinnati. Um, and I'm just looking forward to finally seeing him play baseball this weekend, man. So you know, you know what's thought.
1: funny, Clark? When when you mentioned Cincinnati baseball, I just picture like Rob Dibble and Barry Larkin and Chris <laughs> yeah. Sabo, yeah. and all that. Yeah,
0: hell yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rob again, Dibble, showing man, my age. That's a name. <laughs>
0: that's a name. I missed old baseball tonight so when it was like Rob Dibble and John Cruck on there, and just I mean, I don't think they'd be allowed today. Probably uh, not to be on national TV seeing yeah. that type of stuff. But, <laughs> but yeah, guys, that's stuff. our show. To, that's our show tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoy the weekend of college football. This is going to be one of the best Saturdays we've seen all year. It's true. We'll see y'all next week.
1: See y'all. Been real y'all.